It looks sedate. It looks, look at this place. It looks so, it looks so what? inviting. There's Minden, Minden. It's, it's real. beautiful. I mean, can and you read that sign right there? This is our happy place together. That's Marty Meaden. He's a descendant of the Washoe tribe from the land we now call Nevada and California. And he's showing me around Minden, Nevada. But there are a lot of little schools and like all those old little schools. It's a small, rural, mostly white town, about a 45-minute drive from Reno, not far from South Lake Tahoe. This is old town right here, Minden. We're at the town square. It looks really cute. I mean, it's, it's not, yeah, it's very welcoming. This is a picturesque place surrounded by mountains. On the little main street, there's a bakery, several antique shops, and a low-key casino. The wood building, that's a casino. Most of the buildings are solid brick. Many have been restored to look like they did a century ago. That's the jail and the sheriff's station's right to the front of it. A reminder of Minden's time as a Wild West railroad town. It's all full of people, yeah. An actual set for Western movies. And you notice one thing right away. There are a ton of little plaques everywhere. I mean, there's a plaque because this used to be the bank. There's a plaque because that used to be the pharmacy. You know, I've seen so many different plaques about just little minute details of the place. I haven't seen this is a town that likes to remember. Very historic and um, proud of their history. But do you know the history? From the park, one of the biggest structures you can see is a tower, on top of which is something that looks like a giant red train whistle. We walk up to it, but there's no plaque there. Oh man, can you describe what we're looking at? It was a siren to alert for emergencies, similar to like a tornado warning type, but here it would be primarily fire, but it was also used to uh, as a um, sundown siren to remind uh, the, not just the Washoe people, people of color to, you know, hey, it's time to move out, get back out of town and stuff. Only those that had like a, a working permit that may have been working. A still day, you could hear it for. You could probably hear it almost halfway to the to the foothills over there. Um, so uh, only those like the ladies that were working in the hotels, and or the um, you know like the butcher shop, all those little things were here. Uh, people that had work permits and all were allowed to stay after after uh, the six o'clock siren. Otherwise, you'd be um, you could be arrested. siren has been sounding from the town square since the early 1900s, twice a day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. The noon siren would ring out across the valley, meant, people say, as a lunch bell for ranchers. While there's no written documentation of the reason for the 6 p.m. siren, the purpose was clear. A 1917 sundown ordinance required all Native Americans to leave Minden and return to their reservations by 6.30. To the Native community, the 6 p.m. wail signaled a warning. You've got 30 minutes to get out of town. Many Washoe elders remember it. My dad said his grandma was thrown in jail overnight because she wasn't out of town at, you know, when the whistle blew. The guys that were caught in town late 
would get their hair shaved off, totally shaved off by the cops, and they would also get beat up. And so the siren's been around for a while, and um, we're still living with it. When you hear that, when that just interrupted the way you were talking just now, what? It interrupted us. Yeah. That, that's what it does. It interrupts our life. The sound of the siren is overwhelming, and it doesn't just interrupt life. For some people, it's a constant reminder that they're made to feel less than, that they don't belong. You can hear it in crowded spaces like the casino down the street and echoing all across Carson Valley. It's shocking. But there are lots of people in Minden who don't have a problem with it, like these white residents we talked to walking around town one Sunday morning. I understand where it came from and what it signifies, but I've always kind of enjoyed it. I'm on the town board. I don't want it shut down. I was born and raised here. It's always been a positive thing for me. I like it because I know what time it is when it comes off. I like that. I think it's a good thing. No, we're not shutting it down. No, that's a tradition out here. It's been that way. That's it? That's it. (laughs) All right. This siren is the only one of its kind left in this country. And it means very different things to different people. For the townspeople you just heard from, it's a benign lunchtime whistle, or even, as it's recently been recast, a tribute to first responders. But for Marty and the native elders you heard from, it's a constant reminder of the brutality faced by their people. I came to Minden to witness how the persistence of this siren, a remnant from the past, tells us a lot about our country right now. You see, our country is struggling to figure out how to tell our history. All of it. Whose version of history matters? And who has the power and agency to tell their stories? But mostly, I came to meet the group of people fighting to silence the siren once and for all. Ground and Futuro Studios, I'm your host, Heather McGee. And this is The Some of Us, a podcast documenting my journey around the United States in search of hope and solidarity. The Minden Siren started blaring in 1921 to enforce a tradition that Minden was a sundown town. For those who aren't familiar with the history, sundown towns were all across the U.S., and they gave legal force to the idea that the U.S. was for whites only. The country's first known sundown ordinance was passed in New Hampshire in 1714, targeting Indians, Negroes, and mulattoes, or mixed-race people. In 1921, the Minden siren became the audio version of a whites-only sign. It was an open secret that in Minden, when the siren rang at 6 p.m., indigenous people had 30 minutes to get out or be jailed, fined, beaten. My mother used to have to come to town. Her parents would be harassed or would have to 
come in the back door, be served outside, and uh, they were always kicked out at a certain time. They could never be free. You know, there's always a reminder, you know, go back to the res, go back to where you're from. That's Benny Fillmore, a Washoe elder who lives in the closest reservation, just about five miles from Minden. And down the block from him lives... Andrea James Bigoose. I was born in 1949 here in Douglas County. Andrea Bigoose is a grandmother now and a lifelong resident of Dresslerville, the Washoe Reservation that's just outside of Minden. She's been hearing the siren her whole life. As a child, I always remember hearing that siren. There were no highways and there was no ranchos. It was just sagebrush. No buildings, no nothing. It was just wide open space. So yeah, you could hear it. And we were always told that we needed to make sure that we weren't around any white people when that we needed to be home, that we couldn't be out. Indians couldn't be out in public. As long as I remember, I've always known it. It's just a reminder that people had to leave, even though they were from this community. That's why the siren shouldn't be on anymore. I said this was a story about the meaning of our history. The version of Minden's history that's well-documented and memorialized with plaques all over town focuses exclusively on the experience of white settlers. In the 1850s, Mormons, ranchers, miners searching for gold began to push the Washoe out of Nevada, driving them from the shores of Lake Tahoe and forcing them into colonies in the Carson River Valley. Minden was incorporated in 1905 and named after a town in northeast Germany. Andrea Bigus remembers the stories of when German settlers came. German ranchers that wanted to get rid of us. It's like, get out of here or we're going to kill you. And I'll say that because I'm Washoe. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of them. Before the settlers came, the Washoe people called this land Pawalu, which means people of the valley. The Washoe were nomadic, moving as far west as Lake Tahoe and the Sierras, and as far east as the Carson Valley and the desert beyond. They've been living on this land forever, as Marty and other Washoe people would say, thousands of years before the Germans and other settlers came. But their part of the story is not documented in plaques on the town square. This is an issue talking about the acquisition, the stealing of the land, the making the Washoe people here refugees in their own homeland. Getting history right matters to Marty. He's a lifelong educator whose native grandparents left Nevada and went west to California to work as migrant farmers. In the 1980s, Marty started teaching fourth grade. He won awards for the curriculum he developed to teach the role of indigenous people in California history. He was elected to the board of directors of the National Education Association, the country's biggest teachers union. In 2019, he moved to the area to take a job as the education director for the Washoe tribe. And immediately, he started thinking about ways to teach people about the Washoe's missing history. 
especially the sundown siren. How do I do a presentation about the siren to people that it's just an everyday occurrence to them? How do you educate folks to really understand the significance of what it means? Marty is an educator, and he's also a keeper of Washoe cultural traditions. He didn't grow up speaking Washoe, but he's teaching himself the language and assembling a family tree that he can scroll out across his kitchen table. Even though he's not an enrolled member, he's closely connected to the Washoe tribe. He's also a craftsperson dedicated to the art of Native beading. He's part of a beading circle with Native women. The first thing I noticed when I went to his house was a row of baseball hats, intricately beaded with colorful Native beads sewn through the brims in traditional patterns. He's used his passion for crafting to get the word out about the siren. There are beaded Stop the Siren hats, Stop the Siren t-shirts, and a hand-drawn poster that Marty keeps in the trunk of his car. I carry my sign with me wherever I go. And you can see it's getting kind of worn because you never I never know when I'm going to need it. It might be a tribal event and I can put it out something to remind folks that this is still an issue. This is great. It says turn it off and it's a picture of a sort of yelling siren that has six o'clock in the on the top. Marty told me that when he moved here just three years ago, tribal members had already been working to silence the siren. Marty's not technically a tribal member, though he is working on his enrollment, so he only has limited pull within the tribal government. He doesn't speak on behalf of any Washoe community. But that insider-outsider status also freed him to do what he does best, organize. In just a few short years, he's been able to bring new energy to healing this century-old wound. I, I think people see me as the point person and or at least one of the point people. I just saw myself as helping to get people together, organizing and get people there and all. I'm not leading this cause. I am just in it. Marty rarely misses the chance to take out his sign at a protest or a parade, but most of the work he does is behind the scenes. He's got decades of experience doing person-to-person organizing that he gained with the teachers' union back in California. And of course, he's got a teacher's skill for educating people about uncomfortable history. The problem is, despite the efforts on the part of the tribe to silence the siren, the town of Minden and its all-white board want to keep the siren blaring. There was actually a brief moment in 2006 when, after decades of Washoe tribal advocacy, the town leaders finally shut off the siren. But that victory didn't last long. Almost immediately after the siren was silenced, white local residents complained about its absence, saying the siren was a Minden tradition. So after that backlash, the siren was back on two months later blaring twice a day, as it had since the sundown days. And to protect the siren... A resolution then established the siren's new purpose of honoring the area's first responders. But for the Washoe people, there will never be a new meaning to the siren which haunted many generations. Minden town officials passed a resolution rewriting the siren's history and purpose. 
saying it commemorated first responders and emergency workers, like the local volunteer firefighters. When I got to Menden, I wanted to see what Menden's first responders thought about this siren that's supposedly meant to honor them. So we stopped by the town's volunteer fire station. A brick building. It says Station 1, 1606 Highway 395, East Fork Fire and Paramedic Districts, Douglas County, Nevada. Which is literally 20 feet from the tower that holds the siren. Hey, how you doing? Um, my name is Heather, and this is Matt and Marty, and we are doing a story around some of the um, stuff that's going on with Indian country and the siren and everything. And I was wondering if you could tell us what the siren's all about. <laughs> Go off the record real quick, yeah, and I'll sure. just give you a, yeah. a quick answer. Yeah. The firefighter didn't want to go on the record about the siren. And by the way, neither did Minden town manager, John J.D. Frisbee, though he did speak to local news about it a few years back. There's a form of respect for that, you know? It's almost like when it goes off, it's a time for a moment of silence. For the record, We never saw anyone pause for a moment of silence during the siren. Attitudes about the siren in Menden seemed pretty racially polarized. Most white folks for, most native folks against. A chance encounter at a supermarket one day reinforced this point for Marty. A white guy he'd never seen before took him aside. Say, hey. Are you Marty Meaden? And I'm like, yeah. Well, I want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking, okay, how does this guy know me and what have you? So I want to talk to you about the siren. What I want to say is nothing's going to happen on that siren until you guys start reaching out and get white support. And yes, I was Larry. Why would a white person stick his neck out and go against overwhelming white opinion in the town? What might they want in return? But as a relative outsider himself and a lifelong coalition builder for Native rights, Marty knew that white privilege could open doors that had been slamming in the Washoe community's face for generations. And I told him, I agree with you. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Hi, I'm Heather. I'm Matt. Good to meet you. Very nice to meet you, Matt. When I first met Matt Nicewanger, he and I walked over to the tower that holds the siren. He's a tall white guy, a broad-shouldered electrician who climbs telephone poles for work and climbs rocks for fun. He half jokes that he'd like to climb the siren tower. I mean, I'd like to climb up there. and I mean, I'm an electrician by trade. I could just cut those wires and... It's quiet, you know? He's got the weathered skin of somebody who spends most of his time outdoors. He lives in Santa Cruz, California, about a four and a half hour drive west of Minden. He likes to visit nearby Lake Tahoe about five times a year. His real passion is mountain biking, and he spent the better part of two decades publishing a monthly journal 
about the outdoors with his wife. I'm a family man. I have three kids. I have a good job and all that. And I, and I love my life. But on February 23rd, 2020, everything changed for Matt. That's when Ahmad Ombri, a black jogger in Georgia, was killed by a group of white men. If you could take us back to the moment when you heard about Ahmad Ombri's case and what that meant to you. There was a silence as Matt gathered himself. He was jogging. <laughs> and that's not okay for fucking white people, some white people. And that, 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 that just... The anger's right there. It is so right there for me. That anger flipped a switch for Matt. Right then and there, he decided there was more for him to do with his life. It was missing this. It was missing this sort of way for me to plug in where I felt like I was making a difference in the world, you know, beyond just the regular ways we all do, right? You know, and my question is, where is the outrage why aren't we just tearing this down like a Confederate statue? Like, like really? Along with a few other outraged cyclists in Tahoe, Matt formed Riders Against Racism. Which is a mountain bike group that's uh, dedicated to uh, diversifying outdoor participation on public lands. In August of 2020, Riders Against Racism participated in a Black Lives Matter rally in Minden. Members of the Carson City Black Lives Matter movement hosted a demonstration, and a counter-protest was held in support of Sheriff Coverly and law enforcement. Nearly a thousand people showed up in support of the sheriff, and close to a hundred were there to support Black Lives Matter. There in the crowd was Marty Meaden, with his sign about the siren, Turn it off. Matt saw him, and afterward, it stuck with him. He started doing some research on his own. You know, I had been coming up to this area for a long time, you know, for the Lake Tahoe and the kind of the mountain biking and all that stuff. But I started getting more into the history because uh, my sister-in-law grew up near here, and she told me about this, and I was just, like, flabbergasted. And it just seemed really insensitive and almost mean-spirited to keep the siren going. So he launched an online petition to stop the Minden siren and used his newsletter and press contacts to get the word out. He found Marty on Facebook. So I just decided to just kind of get involved and I teamed up with Marty and we seem to be a good combination, you know, like he's a wise, he's a wise person. He puts up with me. So it works. The petition gained steam online and the press started calling. With 2020 full of conversations around racism and social injustice, a long-standing and long-sounding tradition in Douglas County is once again the topic of debate. I said, wow, white privilege is amazing. You know, the, the first time a white guy gets involved, all of a sudden it's on the news. People have been trying to get this thing stopped for a long time. Matt and his group, Riders Against Racism, started planning a protest against the siren. They would start in Minden Park and do a mountain bike ride, nine miles of hills and a 1,500-foot climb into the Sierras, overlooking the Washoe's sacred Lake Tahoe. But there was an elephant in the room. 
While totally well-meaning, Matt was coming into Minden to try to right some wrongs. And he's a white guy and an outsider. In fact, until he got involved, he had never even met a Washoe person. Marty knew that it was strategically important to grow the movement beyond Native people, but Matt had some work to do with him and others to gain trust. For many of us, we're leery when folks that don't look like you offer to assist because it's like, well, yeah, well, what, yeah, what, what's your motive behind it? You never know what the ask is going to be of you after the fact. Other members of the Washoe community were skeptical of Matt. Here's Washoe Tribal Chairman Sorrell Smokey. He's not getting the full picture. He's, he's, he's taking things at face value and just running with it. He was willing to spread the awareness and stuff like that. But at the same time, he was not working with the tribe. You know, he's never actually came to the tribe or myself and wanted to work together on this. Matt pulled off the siren ride. But it was not diverse. About 20 or 21 of us did the actual mountain biking. That was all white folks. We couldn't get any persons of color to jump on mountain bikes and, and go with us. But, you know, really the whole purpose of this is to get Native participation. If it's just a bunch of white people on their mountain bikes, what are we really accomplishing? Through his friendship with Marty, Matt began to understand that at times it would be more helpful if he could lend support to the cause, but not try to set the terms. Being like, okay, there's already a movement happening. We don't, we don't need to like reinvent the wheel. We just need to like plug in. But despite the missteps, Marty always felt that Matt's heart was in the right place. He's been a great person to work with. He's, um, he's genuine. He's very humble. When Matt starts talking, people stop to listen to what he has to say. I get a little more stressed out than he does. He's, he's very calm, which is good for me, too. So it works. You know, we have a good, uh, a good team. Less than a month after the siren ride, in June 2021, Nevada's governor, Steve Sisolak, signed Assembly Bill 88 to ban racially discriminatory mascots and sundown sirens. Marty was there at the bill signing, in the front row, wearing a Stop the Siren t-shirt. AB 88 also prohibits the use of sundowner sirens. I like your shirt. That was the governor spotting Marty in the crowd. This provision is a critical step toward confronting our past, moving forward together in unity. The law was aimed at the Minden siren, of course. Finally, a state law was banning the siren. There was a lot of energy. Things were really moving. And then with what Sorrell did, it was just like, what the hell? Sorrell is Sorrell Smokey, the Washoe Tribal Chairman. After the state law banned sundown sirens, Chairman Smokey met with Minden's town manager, J.D. Frisbee. Frisbee offered to move the evening siren up an hour from 6 o'clock to 5 p.m. That, in combination with the ordinance from 2006 that had recast the meaning of the siren as a tribute to first responders, gave Minden a rationale for keeping the siren, despite the state law. 
Chairman Smokey told me that he expected that after their conversation, Frisbee and the town would formally recognize the sundown siren's racist history. But he says that hasn't happened. Acknowledging they did wrong or their ancestors have done wrong and acknowledging the hurt that it brings to Washoe people. That's what we need. And so he ended up proposing the idea of changing the siren to five o'clock instead of six o'clock. And I said, you know, that's fine. Other Washoe leaders said they were disappointed and frankly angry at Chairman Smokey's decision to approve this time change. They say that Smokey just handed Menden City officials a way around Nevada's new law. Here's Irvin Jim, the chairman of the Woodford's Washoe Community Council in the neighboring county. I didn't like it. I had seen it as basically the town board got what they wanted. It pissed me off. I mean, I I signed off. I was like, man, I don't even want to talk about this. And Chairman Smokey gets why people, even the members of his own tribal council, question his decision. A lot of Washoe tribal members believe that uh, I should have did more. And I agree. Uh, We should do a lot more. But we have to do more. It can't be me. As one person, I can only do so much. The tribe as a whole needs to come together and be the ones to all be on the same page and shut it down. Yes, the Washoe and nearby tribes had been organizing for decades, but without much traction. And once these unlikely allies came together, the protest movement grew, began to make headlines. It was a powerful, spontaneous, pretty amazing thing to happen. I felt like it was like there were forces at work that were larger than Marty and I. It was just everything. It's one of those, like, if you if you build it, it they will come. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that helped to turn things around was when Matt decided to change tactics. Marty told him that Indigenous people weren't into mountain biking like he was. A more traditional Indigenous sport is running. And that decision would result in Matt and Marty crossing paths with Nevada's most impressive athlete, a young Indigenous runner, Koo Stevens. About 20 minutes outside of Minden, in Carson City, Nevada, is where we met Koo Stevens at a place that had once been the site of immeasurable suffering. When we drove up, I felt it immediately. Uh, so this big sign says Stewart Indian School. It's a little campus of buildings, but it just feels wrong. I can't really describe it. There's like a knot at the top of my stomach, like at my sternum like a thickness in the back of my throat. It's, I felt this way. I felt this way when I visited a plantation. I felt this way in the killing fields in Cambodia. It's just like a site of pain. I don't know, I can't really describe it. During Stewart's 90 years of operations as an Indian boarding school, thousands of children from tribes all across the Southwest 
were taken here against their will. I'm going to tell you about one of them, a boy from the Yarrington Paiute tribe named Frank Quinn. In 1914, Frank Quinn was eight years old. He was snatched from his family and taken to Stewart, where he faced disease, abuse, overcrowded dorms, lack of food, conditions that many children didn't survive. Frank ran away. He ran 50 miles, day and night, over mountains and rolling hills alone, trying to get home to his Paiute village. He got there, and he was captured and taken back to Stuart. Then he ran away again and was taken back. After his third escape, his third 50-mile run, he was finally allowed to stay at home. Today, Frank Quinn's great-great-grandson is the keeper of his legacy. Hello, I'm Kitavin Stevens. Most of you know me from my running. Um, I'm the fastest distance runner in Nevada at this time, basically. Koo, like his great-great-grandfather, is Yarrington Paiute. Historically, they've been neighbors to the Washoe. Koo's just 19 years old. He's a high school senior with shoulder-length dark hair, and he's treated like a rock star almost everywhere he goes. Sometimes strangers walk up to him and ask for his autograph. After all, he's the fastest kid in Nevada. His name, Kutovin, means one who brings light from the darkness. And in a way, his gentle demeanor seems to fit his name. Ku is also extremely light on his feet. And he says running connects him to his ancestors and the land. Where I live now on the res, I'm half a mile away from these huge mountains. And um, yeah, I love going up there. And I'll go up to the top of this hill and then um, I'll just sit up there. You know, it's almost a way of releasing and just meditate. In 2021, 18-year-old Ku decided to organize a remembrance run. Starting at the children's graveyard at Stewart, the Remembrance Run recreated the escape route that his great-great-grandfather Frank Quinn took so many years ago, across 50 miles of rocky mountainous terrain. Everyone who came to the run was encouraged to bring a friend from a different background. Dozens ran, covering the 50 miles over two days, with a night of camping and communing together in between. Ku says the Remembrance Run honors not just his great-great-grandfather, but all the Native children who were taken to boarding schools like Stuart. Children from different Indigenous backgrounds who were brutalized and intentionally stripped of their cultures. When I finished the Remembrance Run, coming down from the hill and seeing everybody gathered there, um, man, it was just overwhelming. You know, there was goosebumps the last two miles and... Like, man, I finally did it. And you can just imagine yourself as an eight-year-old finishing this long journey that you just completed to see your family. And those feelings compared to mine would be just multiplied exponentially. To be like, man, my, that's my family. That's my, that's my house. That's my dad out there. <sighs> to go through that, it, it gave me a sense of what, what my people all over the country, all over this continent had to go through. Ku is just a kid, 
He should be competing in meets and playing video games and not worrying about history. But to him, the life he knows today, the poverty and isolation on the res, doesn't make sense if you don't remember what this country did to his ancestors. And learning that history, being a part of righting those wrongs, was important to Matt as well. Matt was a mountain biker with 50-year-old knees, but he participated in Ku's Remembrance Run. The night after the first day of running, there was a circle, and Ku remembers Matt there. Remembers him as being angry. Angrier than anyone else there. When he came to the Remembrance Run, um, we were all gathered up in a circle at one point, and he, like, apologized for being white. And that kind of caught me off guard. <laughs> he was just doing what he thought was best at that time, you know, it's what, what he could say. So by doing this, you know, actions speak louder than words, at least in my opinion. This isn't uncommon, this awkwardness of a white ally with a newfound zeal for justice coming in and not knowing how to be, not knowing how to bring the self-awareness of your identity and the weight of history into the room without taking up all the space. Reflecting on the Remembrance Run, Matt feels like he's learned some lessons. It was like a chance to sort of sit with like native point of views as opposed to more white point of view about history and kind of just listen more and learn more. And yeah, so it kind of set me on a path of more just like just making friends and building community as a really important piece of this, kind of less intellectual and angry. Distance running is important to many indigenous cultures. Mountain biking, not so much. After Matt's life-changing experience with Ku's Remembrance Run, Matt trained for six months to be able to do another mountain run. This one for the siren. On Memorial Day 2022, Matt, Marty, and Ku came together in Minden right before the 12 o'clock siren to participate in Minden's first annual siren run, organized by Matt and Writers Against Racism. I'm here today to be on this journey of building community around making the siren stop. This time, it wasn't just white folks on mountain bikes. It was a multiracial gathering of people, including from tribes all over Nevada and California, even someone from Hawaii, all coming together to protest the siren's daily reminder of a painful past and then run up the steep hill together into the mountains. There was a smudging ceremony led by Ku's father. Delmar Stevens, My name is Delmar Stevens. I'm Paiute from Yarrington. Brought my family here today. We stand here proudly with this community in support of ending the siren. Here we go. Paiute and Shoshone women wearing traditional clothes and running sneakers danced and played traditional music. 
I'm a member of the Washoe tribe and I'm here to stand with my people and everybody who's come to stand with us to end the injustice in this community and move forward in a good way. So I'm here to support the Washoe tribe, stop the siren and hopefully go the right way with history on this one. Looking around, we could see that the anti-siren movement had grown. And it wasn't just cross-racial, it was intertribal. Coup gave voice to that solidarity. Me and my family, we like to stand up for social injustices that happen all over the country. You know, it hurts my heart. You know, it hurts a lot of people and it really affects us as a community. So yeah, I'm here to stand with the Washoe community and uh, Matt for what he's doing here. And my family's here too. So it means a lot to me. So thank you all for coming out. So did Marty. No matter if you change it to three o'clock, you change it to 10 o'clock, it's still the siren that was there to begin with. The siren telling all of us, people of color, to go home. You're not wanted. Other elders and community members pledge their support too, like Elder Art Martinez. The thing that keeps trauma going is the reminders of trauma that trigger us. And that siren every day is that trigger for our community. It's that thing that keeps the injury going, along with our murdered and missing people, the inability to protect our lands, our sacred places. And so in this way, I'm proud to stand here with you today in this circle. Thank you for the prayers that you bring here today in this way. After the siren run, we walked through Minden again. Wanted to see if the largest and most diverse protest against the siren held to date had inspired any of the white townsfolk to reconsider their viewpoints on the siren. But most people we spoke to still weren't convinced that shutting down the siren would be the right choice. Uh, I think that would be a tragedy if it were shut down. I think that... It's a lot more of our history than just the natives. And although I'm sensitive to their thoughts and their opinions, I feel like there's more to it than just that. And by shutting that down, it's shutting down a piece of our own history. I think we all grew up hearing it. I mean, just now we're sitting here and having lunch and it goes off and we look at the kids and we're like, it's noon and we're laughing and we know the sound and it's like a piece of everyone's childhood. So it's not just ancient history, it's recent history. And I think that we need to preserve as much of that as we can these days. To be clear, not every white person who talked to us was an avid supporter of the siren. In fact, some town residents have joined the fight to shut it down. Like Laura Cadeau, a first responder who used to work dispatch for the Douglas County Sheriff's Office. Right here in this valley, and I was trained to use that siren for fire 
we would alert the volunteers by setting off the siren. She told us that first responders already have other tributes, and she'd rather support them by improving their pay than by honoring them with a siren that's attached to such a hurtful past. You know, the reality is that the siren has um, a history of traumatizing the Indians that live here, and it's time that we honor them. So, you know, I know there are other people who feel the way I do. Um, This community has grown tremendously since the 70s, and there are many who have no idea what that siren means. So I think, you know, bringing that history to the forefront is important and telling people that we have the power to make a difference and to change it because nobody should be traumatized. We want to be a welcoming community, and this puts a blight on that right out the gate, you know. Getting the real history right matters because the American story is so complex and often so brutal, but it belongs to all of us. In the ongoing debates about monuments and what we teach, some people say talking about history keeps us mired in the past, but we have to get on the same page so we can turn it. The kind of multiracial coalitions that Matt and Marty helped to build require self-awareness, grace, and earned trust. It's not always easy, but it is necessary to make progress. The state of Nevada has so far declined to take action to enforce its new law against sundown sirens. Menden's siren still blares through the town and the foothills of the mountains surrounding it. But the people I spoke to say that's not the only thing being heard on this land. Their stories are now reverberating, too. They refuse to be forgotten. Here's Urban Jim, chairman of the neighboring Woodford's Washoe Community Council. We are America's family secret. They do not want anybody to know the injustices, the tragedies, everything that they've done to us as Native Americans. But it's coming out slowly. I'm hopeful for a future when the original people of this land no longer feel that they are America's family secret. When the atrocities that our government committed in trying to erase Native culture are known to everyone who lives on this land, as Marty teaches. That knowledge should move us to take responsibility as Matt has, for the harms done to Native communities today, and to safeguard, and frankly, to learn from, the next generation of Indigenous youth. We have a long ways to go. These kind of events and these kind of, these kind of interviews and these kind of runs are needed for people to you know, interact and connect with different people who feel differently than them. Next time on The Some of Us. I'm taking you on a journey across state lines, from Texas to New Mexico, 
to meet an underground network of religious people. We've been running this program since the state of Texas made it difficult for people to get abortions. A community joins together to fight for abortion rights rooted in faith. Abortion rights came very much out of compassionate religion. They worked across race and religious beliefs, standing up together to support reproductive freedom. It has been hard. It has not been kumbaya. It has not been easy. On our next episode. From Higher Ground, this is The Some of Us, created and hosted by me, Heather McGee, and produced by Futuro Studios. Our producers are Kasim Shepard, Ryan Kailoth, Emil Sequiros, Joaquin Cutler, and Juan Diego Ramirez, with help from Liliana Ruiz, Sophia Lowe, Susanna Kemp, and Alyssa Vladimir. Our senior producers are Nicole Rothwell, Jeannie Montalvo, and Fernanda Echavari. We're edited by Sandy Ratley and Maria Garcia. Additional editing for this episode by Fernanda Echavari. Executive produced for Futuro by Marlon Bishop. Mixing by Stephanie LeBeau and Julia Caruso. With help from Gabriela Baez. Recorded at the Bridge Studio in Brooklyn, New York by Jurosh Jovanovich and Greg Talk. Research by Lynn Cantor and Carolyn Lipka. Executive producers for Higher Ground are Mukta Mohan, Dan Fearman, Anna Holmes, and Janae Marable. Jenna Levin is our editorial assistant. Executive producers for Spotify are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, Julie McNamara, and Corinne Gilliard. Our original music and theme song is by The Sacred Souls. Join us for the next episode of The Sum of Us, a podcast in search of hope and solidarity. Futuro.